0: Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Drop the Mic. I am Darren Jenkins, your host and on today's show. To be honest, I never thought like I remember watching the daytime Emmys. I saw you up on stage. Never thought that this person would be sitting opposite me on the screen. Um, Gabriel, Gornell, let me just read your bio real quick. Gabriel Gornell is an award-winning branding, production, and distribution executive for the music and entertainment industries. He specializes in strategic initiatives for artists and filmed entertainment properties that reach audiences via multi-tiered, holistic distribution systems. One of his
1: current That's a mouthful, huh? i a little bit. I think hearing that back, I think step number one might be rewriting my bio. Even I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well
0: you know let's get in. It. so it's funny because you you said um entertainment architect i've never heard that term before but i think it's it's a perfect it's a perfect title for what you've done
1: well thank <laughs> you you know um well that's a that's a it's it's funny that that's what you latched onto, um, and I think that that is actually, in terms of the entertainment industry, and in terms of people that are either a part of entertainment or production, or you know, people coming up, maybe you know, you know, the younger generation that's interested in this, be it film or television or streaming, you know, one of the funniest things about this business is, what does a producer do? I mean, I can't I can't tell you how many times coming up in this business that question's been asked. You know, everyone knows what a director does. Right. And everybody knows what a casting agent does. Everybody knows what a cinematographer does. Tell me again. What's what does a producer do? I mean, (laughs) I just feel like it's it's very often it's like, oh, are you got, are you the guy that writes the checks, you know, or are you the one that rents the cameras, you know, and. And, and sure, there are certainly producers out there whose only contribution is finding the money. In fact, right. let's be honest, that in, in entertainment, that's an important part, right? Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, and then there's people that take that producer credit who are just really, really great at the logistics and the rentals and the, you know, that side of it, renting cameras, you know? right? And because there's such a range of right. like, jobs that have to get done that all get bucketed under that one title producer that nobody knows what the producer actually does. I think there's actually – I think the – one of the – I want to get into that. I don't want to leave too far, Mm -hmm. but the issue with regard to the producer title – actually goes back to old Hollywood, oh. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in old Hollywood, in the studio systems, the way that the way that it worked was, you know, you had all these day players that unionized, right? right? And so the directors had a union. And when you have a union, you have a clearly defined job description, right. you know? And this goes from all the crew positions. And during the early days of Hollywood, in the studio system days... The producers worked for the studios, right? They Mm. were like staff executives. And so why does management need a union? And so when all the other crew departments got their union job descriptions, since Mm. the producers were actually the employees of the studios and were considered management, they never got a defined job description. Mm. And even that goes back to why people don't know what a producer actually does, right? right? And so so you, you, you take that sort of like old Hollywood studio system, lack of job descriptions, take right. that all the way through to today and, you know, a producer could do, listen, even actors now, if, if, if lending their name, if an actor lends their name to a project mm. and it helps sell the distribution or it helps sell the financing or it helps sell, you know, another actor to sign on board or, or helps sell, uh, you know, a noteworthy director to come on board, they say, well, you know what, I, I'll do that if you give me the producer title as well, right. you know? And so there are so many different roles, and that's essential too. Right. I'm happy to share a producer title with an actor if they're bringing that weight. I I, I have no issues with it at all. I think it's right. it's an essential part of packaging, but that that's why very often the producer title is confused, and that's why... I decided to go with entertainment architect because what I do for a living is, you know, is about trying to come up with a vision, an idea for either a show right. or an event or a series. And like, uh, you know, a traditional architect, it's all about the planning and the strategy, mm. and finding this component to bring in, or finding this component to come in, developing a distribution plan that that is a part, that that is a part of the story itself. You know, find finding the team and and building it like a house. Right. And so you know, it's like if I just on my on my LinkedIn or wherever, or on my bio, if I just If I just said producer or executive producer, I always feel like, well, what does that mean? And so Mm. entertainment architect was what I thought was like the the most sort of telegraphic thing, you know, to sort of describe like, all right, whether you're an artist or you're a network exec or, you know, you're you're wherever. So, you know, a writer. And why do you call someone like me? Right. And I think the reason is, listen, this there's if you're looking for someone to help you rent a camera, there's much more proficient producers than me at that. Right. You know, I'm you'd be wasting your time sending me to the camera house. You know, I, I I think that you call someone like me if you're if you're looking for that level of strategy and planning, and putting it all together, right. you know, building it brick by brick into a cohesive sort of holistic thing. Right. So. You know,
0: um, I I may have to steal that title because <laughs> I do. I'm I'm sure. So, I, I I I often struggle, like you know, sometimes on I'm, I'm on different meetings and stuff, and people will ask me, "What do I do?" Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for me to describe what I do because I do so many things for a production, for a project, and. That perfectly describes this built, like built, you know, I'm not, like you said, I am not the dude that's going to get you a great deal on cameras either. But if you are struggling with an idea and how to achieve it and within a scope of maybe a budget or maybe uh, a location or I feel that's a perfect, that's the guy that, that, you know, I want to, I want to have on my team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm hoping people adopt this because i think it's so much more strategically correct than
1: producer Um, i agree man it's like you know there is such a thing as production strategy uh, you know and ultimately you know as the distribution platforms continue to change, especially over the last year. You know, the the COVID year alone has dramatically changed the distribution landscape. It's had an effect on production... logistics. It's, I mean, you know, there are elements of what we called a year ago COVID compliance in terms of, you know, shooting regiments that, you know, that are are going to live on right. long after everyone's Vaccinated and safe, right. you know the last year alone has had such a lasting impact on production and distribution um, that I, I think that it's it's undeniable, in a sense, with regard to what is the production strategy. Hmm. You know it used to be, it used to be, you know, okay, here's the approved idea, or here's the script, here's the talent, here's the budget go right now now it's like it's not just the 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 what and the how right it's you also have to ask the why Why. you know and 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 i think that you know so often, you know, we've got, you know, tail wagging the dog situations with regard to, to production approaches that, you know, key decisions get made because that's how things used to be done versus why are we approaching it that way? Okay. I think that the, the Grammys production from a few weeks ago, which I loved, by the way, I yeah. focus for the most part, I focus on music. That wasn't my show. Sure. But I definitely loved that production and you know in terms of uh you know any Big award show or, you know, variety experience, you get so used to saying, you know, well, then the, you know, our giant audience is on this side of the stage and our performers are on the shiny stage itself. And we're going to have these cameras set up so that we can sweep across the audience simply because that's how it's always been done. Now, because we had this crazy year. This pandemic year, where we couldn't put the audience in the room or for that for that Grammy production or my Lollapalooza 2020 production or or any of the productions in between, you know, I loved what the Grammys did. They put the artists in an intimate environment mm-hmm. and had them in the room listening to the performer. I mean, it's like I found it just as as engaging watching the artists perform as I did. I, I found it just as engaging watching Harry Styles listen to the yep. artist performing. Yep. It was, and that was like a, a COVID-compliant solution, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day, I now, when I think about concepts and packaging, I much prefer that intimate reaction yeah. I don't need to see a twenty thousand people sitting there in an audience like cattle. Like, who cares? That's not right. what I'm. If I was in the room, maybe the goosebumps, the excitement, huh. the tribal experience. But like from television, I like the intimacy. Yeah, you know. And so that kind of stuff, that kind of you know, a COVID takeaway, a pandemic takeaway, right? Hmm. That's going to impact production strategies moving forward, and. You know, I mentioned. You know, it's used to be all about the what or the how. Now we ask, ask why. Yep. Why do we have those sweeping audience shots? <laughs> if I'm sitting on my couch, who gives a shit? Like, I, sense, I, right? I, I, I think that very often, is it moving the story forward? Mm. Is it like why? And you yeah, know, just- you know, very often it's like, well, I need eighteen cameras. Why? Like, mm. I, I think that u- ultimately um, this last year in particular, right. you know, it's, it's had such a huge impact on, obviously, production approaches, you know, that will last beyond the pandemic. Right. But, you know, every artist, you know, embracing their own live stream, their own ticketed live stream, yeah. you know. OTT solutions in terms of distribution—it wasn't invented during COVID. I mean, right. obviously, and when I'm ta- when I when I use an expression like OTT, I'm specifically referring to IPTV, like internet provided yep. yep. distribution over the web, right? Uh, versus like VOD through a smart TV or something like that. Right. But like IPTV side of it, you know, was obviously around before the pandemic, but I, it exploded. Over Mm -hmm. the last 12 months, because no artists could be on the road, you know, Mm. and but now in the last year, it was embraced by the fans, too. Right. And that sort of like, you know, it's like, you know. Uh, people at home it's like you have you know right your regular television you have your premiums whether it be your hbo's or you know your stars or or your showtimes and then you have your, your streaming premiums you know your netflix your amazon um and now i think with the you know Really high-profile artists embracing OTT, direct fan ticketed IPTV, what have you. I think that uh, it's become the norm, and I think that that ability to sort of quote-unquote self-distribute direct to your fan mm. ain't going away, you know. Mm. And so, how does that how does that fit into your distribution strategies? moving ahead whereas gosh i mean i sadly read obviously that some big theater chains are you know might not make it through does that mean that your first window theatrical run might be the direct to fan ticketed experience Mm. instead of theatrical experience and if that's the case your second window you know is maybe that stays the same, you know, or maybe it's, you know, it's cable and it bypasses the premium streamers, you right. know. But all of these things become part of your distro strategy and your distro strategy does inform your production strategy on many levels. Right. And, you know, it's just like, I mean, super exciting that we have a chance yeah. to sort of uh, reinvent here a little bit.
0: Yeah, 2020 definitely was you know, a challenging time for all content creators of the live variety. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, to your point, I feel like it's kind of an exciting time also too, because it's, it's, it's forcing people to be more creative in how they reach their audience. Mm-hmm. It's forcing, it's also kind of like, curating your audience as well in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Because for the most part, the most passionate of fans, they're they're they are they they do not care whether it's live or on on their computer. They just want to be able to have that experience with you. And it seems to be the way you know a lot of these artists are, are starting to use the platforms mm-hmm. a
1: much more personal experience. Totally. I I couldn't agree more. And I think you nailed it. I think that the, the word you chose a more personal experience, I think honestly, that's what we're longing for right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we got so sterile and removed with, or at least our event style television. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it definitely got, you know, I, I, I make fun of shiny floor specials all the time, you know, just because I feel like they're, where's the intimacy? Where's the, you know, where's that sort of emotional connection, you know, and, and the pendulum always swings, but so it's like, whether it be these sort of game show style music productions for TV, right? The shiny floor productions, you know, the artist is removed from the judges who's further removed from an audience and everything is just spectacle over emotion. Right. And then all of a sudden, and, you know, and, and the pendulum's going far in that direction, right? And then all of a sudden we have a year like we've had right. where we're all just longing for intimacy. We're all longing to accidentally rub up to somebody and actually, you know, <laughs> elbow to elbow in a live venue and feel another human. You know what I mean? Hmm. And now I think because we've had a year, I mean, walking around with, you know, separated Buy a mask. I'm a fan of masks, don't get me wrong, but still yep. it it's a it's 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 a separation in terms of human connection. And now I think we just so badly want to connect again that listen, you heard me reference the Grammy production, which wasn't mine, but I right. loved it because it felt intimate. Right. It felt like, you know, just we we want warmth again. We we mm-hmm. need we need to. We've had a heck of a year. Yeah. We've, listen, we've had we've had a heck of a four years. Let's be yes. honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, when you when you come off of sort of a, an experience like we've all had, now we we know what the last year of this was, right? Mm. Lockdown masks no interaction right right and, and then the three years before that okay um you know I think I think we had uh we had our last president win the election which basically kicked us into the, the women's March movement right right um which kicked uh, just fighting for equality right right and that was gender equality that was I think the first, you know, coming together to stand up for what's right after the last I'm not gonna say his name out loud. I'm mm. not gonna give him that. Uh, last last president kicked off gender equality, at least in media, via the the women's marches. Right. That rolled into the Me Too movement, gender equality to like, you know, just you know, sexual harassment. Did like right. yeah. I mean then obviously it didn't take long be- before it was like uh racial disparagement at our borders, right? right? To the BLM awareness and movement, hmm. to you know, oh my gosh, it's like you know, now we're now we're be, be you know, four years ago, I had never even known you know, like the expression, you know, black and brown-skinned communities, right? Right. I I mean, easy for a white guy to say, you know what I mean? But it's like, at the same time, it took those four years for me to even know the expression and brown-skinned communities. I didn't, you know, and and then all of a sudden, it's like now, because of, you know, our previous Cheeto-in-Chief, you know- using expressions like you know the kung flu right now i didn't i dumb white guy i didn't even know that that there was issues with regard to accepting and embracing people of you know asian communities right right like so we're like This is, and then on top of all that, we got this little thing called the pandemic, right? And so it's like we've just been going through it. We've been going through it, and so what does that mean, right? In terms of I, you know, I obviously you know get a little uh, passionate about the uh, social topics, (laughs) as you as you can tell, right? But like that has an impact on what we're talking about. Sure. That has an impact on how people, you know, decide what they're going to watch, what they're, how they're going to find their own escapism, how they're going to, you know, just laugh at at the end of a a hard Hmm. day, turning something on that might make them feel good or possibly imagine this, bring the family together at the end of the day. Hmm. And when you come off of four years of this experience and, Then you keep for the final year of it, everyone's like, put this on your face and stay at home and don't interact and you can't see a live show and you can't go out to dinner, you can't see your grandparents, kids have to go, you know, no prom my daughter, 18 years old, prom canceled. You know what I mean? It's like talk about the worst senior year that you're working towards (laughs) your whole life. Yeah. So what do you so you want to have a sterile? music special with no intimacy or do you want to touch again do you want to like feel something you know so i think i think that you know pendulum swings regardless just in terms of societal cultural wants needs what they get tired of what's new right but pendulum also swings when you've like need literally need a different kind of experience and Mm -hmm. you need to feel good again and you need to feel love again and you need to come together again. And I think that we're going to see that, you know, more and more in terms of, you know, the kind of, I mean, the kind of stuff I do is so unimportant compared to the, you know, the stuff we've just been chatting about for five (laughs) minutes, obviously, but what we do as producers or entertainment architects, or however you want, we want to label ourselves, what we do is reflective right of those societal trends what we do is reflective of what culture actually needs or wants or what have you you know and so i think it does matter i think everything is connected so
0: can i ask like i I was always curious about actually so um you know you have all these big events whether it's the grammys or emmys or whatever shows Uh these these bigger shows yeah and, and um you know, like you said, we've been kind of hit by wave after wave of different social injustice, you know, or message oriented um, content, mm-hmm. like you know, and I'm just curious, like, how does, uh, like, so when you're putting a show together, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you ap- approach the decision making behind, you know, what, Kind of representation based uh, for that, you know. So for Black Lives Matter, or you know, Asian Lives, you know, Stop Asian uh, Hate, and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how do you balance out or have make the decisions when it comes to, you know, how your how you're creating this event or it, it, or show, and where the messages need to be addressed.
1: I don't know if there's an easy answer for that I one. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that's the right question I think. I mm. think you're asking the right question. Mm. And and I think that is the question that every producer needs to ask. Mm. Um, and you phrased it I heard you loud and clear. Right. The what, what I the question that I ask in my shows is what is the purpose? Right. In this show, right? Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of a TV show can't accomplish everything. Right. Okay. An award show can't accomplish everything. Um, So my belief personally is we ask ourselves, what is the purpose?
0: Mm.
1: And we try to get aligned behind a singular mission that's connected to the show itself okay now that it's only half of your question and i get that right you know but at least in terms of if there's a charitable component if there's a message if we're trying to have some kind of social relevance what naturally connects to the show Mm -hmm. okay so You know, in terms of, you know, this is I'm working on right now. um, I'm working on developing the uh, a, a celebration and acknowledgement of Amy Winehouse's contributions to music. And culture, right. and as you may or may not know, this July is ten years since we lost her. Okay, mm. okay, it's hard to believe it's ten years. Yeah, and yeah. so, when we ask ourselves that question, what is the purpose? Mm. Okay, um, for this one, um, we want to absolutely. We've identified it is as you know, getting behind mental health awareness. Okay right that's broad strokes right there is a natural connection to the show it is a hugely important um topic that we need to come together raise awareness so we can work together to to help and specifically in the music community um just too many too many artists suffer from mental health related um challenges True. and so that's the purpose right and so listen there's so many hugely important things that need to be tackled right but you know i think that ra- i i personally believe that we we're more effective if we identify a, a concise mission and put efforts towards that and have that mission have a natural connection to the show itself or the topic itself. And, and that's part of it. What is the purpose? But Mm. the other part of your question, I think was, you know, just across the board, how do we make sure that we're, you know, more representative of whether it be the U S population or the world population with Mm. regard to who we represent on stage How are we better representative from a gender standpoint? You know, whereas if broad strokes, there's about equal men and women on the planet, Mm -hmm. you know, are we having about equal men and women on the stage too then? Uh Kind of logical, even though at at lots of major music events and headline festival bookings, you Mm -hmm. don't see that. It's (laughs) like, if half the people, in this, in this city or women, why are all of the headliners males? Right. Like, like, I think that, that you have to sort of just, may, just make earnest decisions, or like, yeah. just try to be, just try to be a good person maybe. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we can't, I can't expect a younger producer, male, female, white, Black, you know, human. I can't expect a young human producer to necessarily know all the questions to ask or what all the measuring sticks should be if I, as an older producer, haven't set a precedence. Right. You know, it's like just maybe start by, okay, am I being a good person? That's a good maybe starting point. Right, yeah. But, but like we have to work into our systems. Like the older folks like me have to work into our systems, you know, well, is it – gender equality is a good example because it's like – because it should be 50-50, like men and women, right? Um, Is our crew representative of that? Right. You know, that's the crew behind the camera, in front of the camera is the talent and the people that we're representing or the crowd that we're (laughs) moving. Is it representative of that? And I think that, listen, there's smarter people than me that can explain why we need to push boundaries in order to be noticed to help something become the norm. And maybe you go overboard a little bit with regard to representation so a group or a culture can be visible. So it becomes accepted faster. I get that kind of thinking and I, and I support it. Um, For, for me, my, my go-to is like, does this look like our country or does this look like the city we happen to be in, you know, or or the country that we happen to be in? Um, There, there are smart people out there that can sort of, you know, culturists and, you know, there are smart people that can really say, well, listen, if we want, you know, racial equality, mm-hmm. right, um, we need to maybe make an effort to make sure a, a particular culture or group is even more represented than – this sort of national average or city average or wherever we are just so that we make it like get it into everybody's heads that these people are just a loved part of our community right. too, whichever group and whichever culture group gender we're talking about, you right. know? Right. Um, I don't know, man, what do you think on that front?
0: I think it's like you said, a very, um, complicated, you know, so when I do events, Hmm. Um, like say I, 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 a few years ago, I did a a panel, um, at Sam's with Samsung on VR and, um, the panel was mostly men. Um, I mean, they were mixed in, in whatever race. and, And I, you know, again, I, I, you know, when I'm creating an event, I, I, I probably think about what's who can I put in front of the audience that's going to be of the most value Mm -hmm. first
1: and most value to who
0: to the audience,
1: to To the audience.
0: audience. I think because I think that they're, if they're paying to come to an event, then I owe it to them to give them the most, the the best content I can give them. Now, um, the VR industry's young. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, it was, was, this would have been 2017, I think. Okay. kind of just starting to kick up. So a lot of the names from the women VR people I was not familiar with, but, um, you know, I think it's important to have a diverse conversation regardless Mm -hmm. of what the conversation happens to be and what your, what idea of diverse could be different. It could be, you know, five like you said, five men, five women. It could be um four black guys, four white guys. Yeah. It could be so I just think that you know the effort for when you're creating when you're when you know, to me is just the like you said, be a good person. Try to put the effort in to care about what you're trying what what it is you're producing. And I think yeah. that uh, that start is A good place to be because if you Mm -hmm. think from that standpoint i think you most times you will go the right direction
1: yeah Um, i agree with you yeah i agree with you hey i see uh i see we have uh some questions that popped up should we read some of these out loud maybe
0: yeah so let's read daryl daryl sledge hey daryl how's it going um he uh, writes, I have produced some really cool shows at the Cutting Room. Oh, how come I didn't know about this, man? Um, 32nd
1: Street. That's New York I, City.
0: Yeah. Um, I have footage of my products produced at this cool joint. I have been successful. Any advice uh, to take it up a notch? Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, you're starting at a cool a cool venue, so that's, yeah, that's, nice. that's a, a good start. You know, Take it up in a notch. How really? I I think that yeah. um, cool room, great. Uh, you know, the room is one of the characters in your story. So I mean, I think that that is, um, you know, important to have the right setting, obviously, you know, the easiest thing to say, you know, to go to next is the artist that's performing, Mm. you know? I mean, listen, I'm a fan of emerging artists, you know, artists that I think are, you know, like, on the cusp or like about to break you know i love that emerging artist scene you know getting to see that artist that Mm -hmm. a year from now might be like whoa crazy but now it's just like at that moment when you feel that energy of it so i love the emerging artist side of it that's the best i also love you know the icons i love the icons Mm. i particularly love seeing an icon in a small room like Ooh, yeah that is so special i would say listen you got you got a cool room if you're already working out of a cool room you've checked that box i think that it, it comes down to curation next um you know but not knowing exactly the your role that you're playing there in terms of taking it up a notch why not take it up a notch by <laughs> if you're booking the room and it's your relationship. Super. But if it's not, if you're not booking the room and it's not your relationship, see about building that relationship with the artist. And because, you know, if you can build the direct relationship with that artist that you happen to be shooting, maybe taking it up a notch is a collaboration with the artist to take what you shot and find a second window life for it. Mm. Okay. You know, and give back to the artist, you know, maybe there's a rights reversion where the footage eventually goes back to the artist, even though you shot it, because that might provide you with the win-win to allow you the ability to distribute the footage in collaboration with the artist. Mm. So I think taking it up a notch may not be changing the room. It may not be changing the artist. It may be how you think about distributing that footage in collaboration with the artist. Mm. I think collaborating with the artist to develop a distribution plan together, even if you ultimately agree to fully have the rights revert back to the artist, that's taking it up a notch. Mm. So i would I would love to i would I would love to to somehow hear where that goes because super cool intimate room great artists performing there, yeah man just collaborate with those artists on the stage and develop a plan to work with those artists to take it to the next level via distribution supporting the artist and it's a win win it comes back to you too
0: wow that's that's awesome you know uh, i do i'm the same as you i i love music like so my i start my day every day mm-hmm. um listening to music I, I i don't turn the tv on. i don't do anything else i worked out then i take a shower and i sit and i listen to i pick some music and i just listen to it while i'm you know doing emails and trying to get ready for the day like, Mm -hmm. I I absolutely love me. But my biggest thing is I love, I love discovering some, someone new Mm -hmm. that I heard, you know, actually I I discovered someone new that is not new, but it's new to me because of you actually go on. I I was doing some research and looking around at some of your stuff. And I came, I was like, okay, let me check out the Lollapalooza um, page. And there's a group called the neighborhood. Great, they're freaking great. I was Uh just like, oh, I love them. So now they are on my playlist of my favorite playlist to listen to because I just like listening. And actually, um, there's an artist who actually I manage. Um, His name is Chris Saunders, who Uh sent us a message. It sent us. Did labels venues have clauses in contract before COVID? prohibiting artists from live streaming unilaterally?
1: Okay. Um, So nothing is ever clean cut, right? I mean, certainly some, in some cases, the answer is yes. In some cases, the answer is no. In terms of labels, the label's biggest, you know, roadblock is usually, um, is usually with regard to taped recordings versus live stream. Okay. So if a label is going to take issue with something um, with regard to clauses and contracts, et cetera, usually, listen, there are no rules. Every deal is different, but usually their issue has less to do with the live stream Mm -hmm. and more to do with if it's recorded and it's going to be shared as a recorded performance of music Afterwards, because the moment it's a recorded piece of music, it's actually competing with their business, you know, Mm. in the sense that if you're going to purchase a concert performance that is like, you know, the equivalent of the label's DVD or the equivalent, you know, it's a recorded piece of content, usually that's where the label would have an issue. In terms of the venues, I mean, listen, there's always clauses and there's always deals. Sometimes they have to do with, you know, how far away from the venue, you know, some sort of radius clause. Sometimes it, it, usually it has to do with that. Um, You know, a venue's not going to want to necessarily book an artist, uh, you know, that they'll hopefully sell tickets, you know, at a venue, if the night before there's a free live stream, and people are right. going to buy a ticket. So, you know, normally it has to do with conflicts and, and distance from the venue in terms of venues having an issue with live streams. There's usually a way, here's the thing though, if you can create a win-win situation for the label or from the venue, whether it be, you know, think of it as, you know, marketing for the ticketed event as at, at the venue, whereas we're going to do 30 days out, we're going to do three songs via live stream and we're going to, you know, drive traffic to the ticketing page. And this is part of our program and can we get approval and support by doing this? And we're, you know, we want, you know, if, if it's really, the rising tide really does raise all ships. And if it's earnestly conceived as part of the plan, And, you know, very, very often the venue will be excited by that, put you in touch with their marketing person or their socials person and work with you Mm. and work with you, you know, but, you know, just, just answer. Did labels, venues have clauses and contracts before COVID prohibiting artists from live streaming unilaterally? (laughs) Nothing is across the board like that, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, there, there are usually clauses prohibiting, you know, complete free range, but there's always a solution.
0: Mm. Um, Ira Mosley, um, he, I don't see any jazz in your portfolio. Are you thinking or seeking to enter the area?
1: I would love, to have more of a, you know, an initiative embracing jazz, particularly since I'm working on this Amy Winehouse project. Who, you know, at at her heart, right? I I consider her a jazz singer. Yeah. You sure. know? Yeah. And um, listen, I I've been getting into it lately, and I absolutely, absolutely, it's. I I want to. I got to learn more. I got, I got to learn more for sure. Um, but <laughs> I find that exciting. I, I really find that exciting. And you know what, Ira hit me up. Yes. Let's figure something out. I just actually
0: interviewed a, um, really talented jazz, um, vocalists on one of my other podcasts, Jasmia Horn. Um, and if you haven't heard, if you haven't heard of her, she's actually Grammy nominated twice. Nice. Um, if you haven't heard of her, you should check her out. She's really just quite good. And she's, um, she's, she's you know, like, when I, it was funny. I, I was, I, I discover I didn't discover, but I heard her on Spotify one night. I was just playing a, a jazz playlist uh huh, and it came up. I it was like, Oh, who is this? And I saw her name and. I was like, I've got to find her. I got to, I got to. And so wow. she was such a nice person. I found her on on LinkedIn and I just reached out. like, would you mind being on my podcast? And she was like more than happy to do it. I was just, you know, that is one thing I will say about COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID has done something that I don't think a lot of people, I hope people appreciate, which is people have been so much more receptive and open and passionate about connecting with each other Uh during COVID. Desperate for it. To your point, because of COVID and they've missed being around people. Mm -hmm. And I think that I hope people don't go back to the way things were. (laughs) I hope people continue to be more passionate about, you know, just being nice and saying yes and, and, and connecting with People that they don't know, because you Mm -hmm. just never know what's going to happen. You know, just never know. Wow,
1: I hear you, man, and I I couldn't agree more. From the bad, we can still learn. Right from the bad, we can grow. Right. It's like it's this. This is terrible. Obviously, right. You know, COVID was terrible. Right. But that doesn't mean. We can't take a learning from it or we can't grow from it. You know, I I think, in yeah, just openness, connection, willing to listen, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe some good can come from those learnings. I'm choosing my words carefully. I don't want to say maybe some good can come from COVID. I don't want to phrase it that way. But like maybe some good can come from our learnings, you know. Ira, thank you for these. Uh I, I see sort of as I'm as I'm you know chatting away here, I see the comments come through. I would I would love to hear more about uh the church and, and everything else uh that, that you've just put put out there. So uh that sounds very cool.
0: Yeah, Ira is one of our members and he's he's very talented, very, very skillful. So yeah, cool. um Thanks, Ira, for wat- watching the podcast and uh, submitting that. Um, when you're not working, because, mm-hmm. um, like, what do you... If okay, you ask
1: my that? wife, that is not very often. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, sh- honey.
0: Hi. She's like, uh, not... <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I'm sorry to have interjected.
0: What do you do? What do you do to unwind? Like what's like what what's what's, you know?
1: Um so <sighs> I've got my my two latest things. You must I mean, be this, super busy. This is not going to be sound so original, all right? It's like I'm here talking largely about music shows and music production. So I wish I had something a little bit more interesting than having my hobby also be music. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be honest; it is kind of like uh, all encompassing. So there's obviously, you know. When I when I do eventually get to face the other way in the studio, okay, so that is my, you know, it's like I have my my nine to five, like a business right. executive, where I'm facing this way right. on, you know, never ending business meetings, Zoom fatigue, right. and then when I do have that moment of like, you know, pastime listen, I'm from New York. I like making beats, you know? I like old school hip-hop beats from vinyl. Like, I do not buy sample packs. I like Crate Dig, find a weird old record, try to find that kick, sample it on my MPC, and just build a, like an old school hip. I'm from New York. That's what we do, right? And so old school hip-hop beats on my MPC from yeah. vinyl, that is, I, that is my like pure love.
0: I saw, I, um I was listening to some of your music actually on SoundCloud. And, oh boy, that's dude, <laughs> wow! I was, I was like, whoa, this is this is dope. I was like, you had some cold porter in there, and I was just like,
1: wow, okay, all right. Oh gosh, it's funny that that stuff pops up. See, that is that's kind of weird stuff. Like that Cole Porter one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like first off, I am a a total gear nerd okay and i get so into like weird pieces of gear i did that one on a 1982 cassette four track recorder do you remember back in the day four tracks on cassette right yeah. and like they just kind of just just you know like, like we had this vinyl resurgence right, right. and i you know in the 80s, like that's how we did it. There was no DAWs. There was no like right. anything in terms of like digital recording. If you were lucky enough or you had a rich friend, somebody maybe had like a cassette four track, right? Mm-hmm. And my wife found this one uh, from 82 in such good condition. Cause I was like looking and looking and looking and it was like my Christmas gift <laughs> And it was like, so I'm like, get like, it has like natural analog compression, but to a cassette tape. And it's four tracks. So it's like, you know, your left and right channel on both sides of the tape, like side A and side B. Right. And I just love that sound. And so, like, I'm now recording my beats from MPC to old school four track. And uh, it's, that's so that's my pastime. All right. Uh not necessarily like a little a little borderline artsy, I guess. I don't know what it is. It's like a little
0: definitely Are you, are you putting, I mean, so because I've heard some of the stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty good. Like I Well, thank you. <laughs> um I'm I am going to be uh, I have a um we have a friend Signon Tiwal, who's a music producer and I, I i'm going to point him at your channel cuz th- cuz <laughs> yeah. he's going to appreciate this very much I, so
1: it's funny it's like that stuff is also it's just like i don't even know it's like it's like if Brian Eno met i don't know the Beastie Boys in 1984 is kind of like i think yeah. you know it's it's a little eccentric so i don't think it's for everybody
0: it definitely has a an old, like 80s Brooklyn hip hop vibe <laughs> to it. You know,
1: I can t- see I take that as like the hugest compliment in the world. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So, so
0: um, yeah. can you tell me more about the Amy Winehouse um, project? So it's an, ex- it's, it's, it's a multi layered thing, right? It's not, yeah. Just- so
1: this is, um, <laughs> It, well, we're, we're, it's like this. We're first off, we're on the eve of announcing it, so this is a little uh, oh, a, so a, sneak, a little sneak peek reveal right now. So, yeah. so more information probably within the week will be will be properly announced officially. But I'll say this: um, working with um, creative director and photographer Charles Moriarty. Um, we we shared an exhibit together at South by Southwest mm-hmm. in 2019 this is before covid right? right there's been with regard to amy i mean she did so much culturally and musically and you know like like so many artists who you know candle burned out a little too quick right there's been too much in my personal opinion, about Amy focusing on the later days, right, and at 27, not that late, right. Uh, but like the the later days in terms of her journey, and the Saturday's, and look, if I'm watching a superhero movie, my favorite part is the first half hour when they discover their powers. Right. I, I like the origin story, right. and. And just thought with so much coverage of her Saturdays, why don't we put together an exhibit celebrating her rise, right? Right. And so Charles, who was friendly with Amy, um, he, he just photographed her a lot working with the label back then before the release of her first record, before oh. the release of Frank, okay? And so she was 19 years old just hilarious, all smiles, and just like this, like incredible, like, personality and energy of talent. And, you know, in the US, in the US, most music fans know her from her second record, right? you know, but this is on the eve of her first record, Frank, and she was 19, an emerging artist. No one knew at that point she was going to become a global icon. And we right. put together an exhibit in 2019 at South by Southwest. It was an official South by exhibit. And from the middle of the exhibit, we produced 20 emerging artist showcases wow. from artists at the same stage in their career, right? You know, just artists that we thought are, are, are probably maybe on this at that's also on the verge of that kind of like explosion and we produced those official south by showcases from the center of the emotional exhibit of amy at 19 right Mm. and so we put this together and it just worked so well you know in the sense of you you know you got that icon within the exhibit looking at tomorrow's emerging artist. Mm. And, you know, versus doing a tribute that's just karaoke, people only singing, you know, covers, you know, this was like, no, let's take it a step further. Let's just celebrate the emerging artist in celebration of what Amy gave us. Right. Mm. And so that is essentially what on now it's 10 years, sadly, July 23rd will be 10 years since we lost Amy. And, what we're putting together is sort of inspired by that 2019 south by exhibit but just lifting it up again uh to just a new level of art and appreciation and thanks and bringing it back to something earlier in our conversation mm. purpose. purpose and we are we are absolutely have identified our purpose and I'll save that for the sure more official announcements in the, in the days to come, but we're definitely, we're, we're definitely, you know, setting out to, to, to move the needle and, and try to make a difference.
0: That's awesome. I mean, you know, Amy, just, just so talented and that's a fantastic idea to kind of Mm -hmm. focus it on the, the, her start and her, her rise and her, you know, where she was a really immense, just talent person, you know? And I think that's, that's how, like, when you look at, you know, I just, we just did, um on, me and Chris have another sh- podcast and we just did um, the documentary on Tina. And, um, you know, I think, Sometimes I love it.
1: I love, I love it. Loved it. Yeah. Such
0: a it, fantastic. I love that doc. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it was so good is because we got to also see her rise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't always about everything that was bad. It was, mm-hmm. you got, to, I got to see stuff that I didn't even know about, about her. And I think that's, that's what I love about being a have when you, you're able to tell these kind of stories, yeah. not focusing on the negative, but telling the story of their, of their who, like why people love them, Mm -hmm. what made people love Mm -hmm. them, what, what made them special, you know? And um, because, you know, like you said, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we, some artists we don't have for a long time and we should appreciate them while they're still here. And when they're not here, then we should celebrate their lives as it was at the height of their life, not at the low light of their life, because that's not
1: fair to them. Well said.
0: Not fair. Um, oh, uh, we have uh, Willie Fest says hello.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Willie Fest? Yo, that's <laughs> that's going back to my
0: New York days, huh? Yeah, Willie Fest. I've been with they. They've been. I've been a supporter of them for a long time. They. They do. They're great. So
1: great festival. Yeah, great festival. Great festival that is like you know just a part of the community. Uh, you know, there's the obviously the film side, but it's it, it's they really are something special for Williamsburg. So mm-hmm. that's a, that puts a smile that puts a smile on my face. <laughs> oh, man.
0: What's up, Robert? Um, what what you know, given your, your all of the experiences that you've had, um, what would be some advice you'd give to somebody trying to be the next Um, Or someone who wants to be an entertainment architect, what would be some things you'd like you'd recommend for them to kind of either learn or try to do or try to knowledge that you might might be useful for them?
1: Well, yeah, it, advice coming up is, um, and I get this, I, I'm asked this quite a bit, actually, and, you know, and I go back and forth, honestly, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, coming up in New York, you know, we used to, we used to wear like indie film as like a badge of honor, you know, That's it right. was like, you know, late 80s, 90s, it, the being a part of the indie film scene was absolutely a, a creative Choice. Right. It would allowed us to have creative freedom, and allowed us to sort of you know feel confident in making things that were closer to fine art versus a piece of commerce. Okay. And it wasn't necessarily art by committee. And so I came up in the business, just you know that was everything to me. Being an indie filmmaker or an indie content creator, we didn't call it that then, but right. you know was absolutely everything to me. Right. And then when my, my career took me from New York to Los Angeles, I realized that there's a whole industry out there that doesn't necessarily look at indie film the same way. Yeah. And, you know, to the LA entertainment community, right. They so many not everybody, not everybody, right? But so many people within the network and studio systems had a—they di- didn't come up in that New York scene, and right. they had a perception of an indie film means you couldn't get a job at the studio, right? And it's like, no, you're missing the point. Like, yeah. like that's not what it was about. I wasn't—we are not aiming for that. Right. Like, like who wants to have a job in the studio when you can make art? Like, right, right, like, right, right. and but. A lot of a lot of the entertainment business is about networking. Yes. It it sadly a good amount of it is who you know versus what you know. Yes. That's all. That's just a hard fact reality. Yes. Okay, and so when people ask me for advice, I, I will circle back to the question <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like, what advice do I have? Okay my advice is sometimes it does matter that you put as that you put effort into growing your network mm. not your tv network growing your network your community yep okay so that when the time comes and you're ready to be pitching networks or you're ready to be pitching distributors or you're ready to be pitching you know a commercial project you have relationships at the places where those decision-makers work. Right. Okay. And it's real, real easy to like, we get on our creative high horses where it's all about the, and yes, it does all have to be about the creative. I I hope this isn't misinterpreted, but just as important as that is Building your relationship from a young age in the business so that by the time you're old like me, you do know people that work at the networks. You right. do know people that work at the studios. You know, it's like I think that growing your community and growing your network, in, especially in areas of the business that you actually don't directly do for a living. Right. Honestly, my advice is look at that as equally important to your killer script. Yes. All right. So if I was just going to leave with with one big idea, like somebody coming up today, treat your network and your relationships as important as yeah that killer script you're working on. Mm,
0: I'm, I'm, I I could not. Uh- I agree with you more i tell people that all the time it, it should be stamped on my forehead i tell people that that much cuz um you know it they're just it, 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 i don't think you can do anything without it like i, I just i think trying to do anything without it it's just kind of like playing the lottery <laughs> you know it seriously it's like to me it's like every time and you add someone to your net, your network. And I, th- when I say add, I always tell people to be careful when I, it's not about numbers. It's not about, I need to have a thousand people. No, 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 no. I would I tell people it's much value, more valuable for you to have a hundred or 10, but very connected people mm-hmm. than just for you to have a thousand people who kind of know you and they kind of heard of you or they, oh yeah, Eric, I kind of am familiar. Make sure you take care of your network, make sure yeah. you stay in touch with them and don't always contact them when you need something. Just reach out and say, Hey, how's just reaching out to say how how you doing? If there's anything I can help you with or whatever. Good advice. But just take care of your network and quality over quantity
1: yeah man if you have to when you're reaching out for something and you need something if you're one of your first two sentences has to be hey listen i should be better at keeping in touch but mm. if that's like one of your first two sentences you haven't maintained that relationship right right so
0: i i i i could not agree with you more on that. That is, that is fantastic. Oh, Willie. Phil. Oh, that's Robin Adams. Hey, Robin.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sticks and all the parties. Oh, geez. That is some memories right there, my friend.
0: Yeah. It's been a while. I haven't talked to these guys in a long time, but I, I remember going to a lot of their events. I sponsored a few of their events and we and,
1: uh, did uh, back in the day. All right. So this is, this Is going back a little bit because it's New mm-hmm. York, right? We did with Willy Fest, the premiere of um, we, we made the, a hip hop horror movie. We we're like trying to create a new genre, right? And um, Michael Pickney directed this thing, oh, Michael. Yeah, and we um. So I was an executive producer alongside uh, Colleen Salden, who was my distribution partner at the time, and Spike mm-hmm. Lee. And so and so Spike Lee was an executive producer on on this project, and it was like a fun horror movie that was like intertwined with hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it was called "You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You," and we <laughs> did our premiere at Willy Fest wow. and and uh i remember we had after this after the screening at willie fest we had we had a party after and greg nice of nice and smooth was like the MC entertainment and in that i mean in the movie it it was a fun horror movie man i mean big daddy kane dougie fresh it was like old school hip hop royalty in the movie and it all went down at willie fest that was some so cool that was some good times (laughs) yeah
0: i know michael uh he's come to a few of my events before
1: nice nice i haven't talked to him in forever all right you know what and so that so that when i do reach out i don't have to say (laughs) well i should have reached out sooner but listen i'm going to reach out to him and just say what's up (laughs) And be better at keeping them relationships.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, this was this was fun. This I I you know, like yeah. I I read your IMDB and your IMDB is like huh. I just I'm like, wow, you've done a lot of stuff, but more importantly, you're you're such a nice person. Oh, and well, thank you, Dara. Um I am genuinely happy that you got to come on the podcast today. I've learned a of great deal. You are welcome to come back anytime for anything
1: or anything. Uh, that is super cool of you to say. I I would love to, man. So, when with you. When Amy
0: is, you know, the exhibit and everything is happening, mm-hmm. I'd love to keep in touch and learn, you know, mm-hmm. If there's anything I can help with or do or um, or definitely want to check it out, 100%.
1: That so. sounds great, dude. So yes and yes. Let's absolutely keep in touch. And um, yeah, man, let, let's talk again after this is out there a little bit more. And, uh, you know, we can, we can talk more about Amy, about production, about yeah. old Hollywood, about Willie Fest.
0: <laughs> about all of that stuff and music. And music. And music and
1: music um, thank you
0: for anybody who wants they can follow gabriel on instagram at gabriel gornell and you can go and check out his website which actually i thought this i man there's so much stuff up there i like even after this i'm going going up there and because you have so much information is so so cool um, and jazz and jazz yes local <laughs> <Vocodistro.com. laughs> Gabriel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, Thank everybody who watched the show and submitted questions. Robin, Chris, Ira, everybody who came on. Much appreciated. Um, Check us out at uh, Dig This Podcast Network and digthispodcast.com. I am Darren Jenkins, and this was Drop the Mic. Thanks a lot, everyone. Take care.